I want to share something today that uh, the reason for this, that I normally don't share too much about the demonic realm or the demonic world, because light overcomes darkness. We recognize that. I believe that. I don't like to give the devil any more credit than, than what he deserves, and sometimes we give him more credit than what he deserves because it's an easy out for us. The devil made me do it kind of thing. Who was that? I think Flip Wilson, I think, back in the 60s. I just dated myself, didn't I? <coughs> Used to use that. But what happens is that if we don't realize that, as Paul said, do not be ignorant concerning the schemes, the word schemes are translated, a strategy or a, an intentional plan. So the devil we know has plans of that. We, we know that the scripture talks about that. But to deny that, stick our head in the sand would just be a, a disservice. So the other night, a few nights ago, I was laying in bed just trying to calm down from the day and resting. And I asked the Holy Spirit, I said, Lord, what is it that Trinity Fellowship, I know your church is everywhere, your church is not just a building. What is the people that you have made me responsible for, you know, as a pastor and as a senior leadership here, what is it that we need to hear right now? And I thought, well, I might, you know, a day or two, Lord, speak to me something. And immediately came back and said, teach my people how to discern spirits because the day's ahead. <laughs> and discerning of spirits doesn't have to be something, of, uh, something to be afraid of. And I, I've around a lot of guys who do deliverance ministries, and I understand we, can, we do, can go one extreme to the other, where you guys, that everything is a demon, everything is a spirit of this or a spirit of that, and it probably is a spirit of me and a spirit of you and, and a lot of other stuff in mixed in between. So I think there needs to be understanding as to when is it a demonic level and when is it just things happen. There was a group came to Jesus and they were trying to blame God for everything that took place. And Jesus said to them, I guess that, that tower in Siloam that fell, fell and killed all those people, that was God. He was saying to them, no, it wasn't God. There's things that happen that's just not God. We're in a world where we have our own will, our own authority. I could maybe add my own commentary to that. It very well could be that the tower in Siloam was built with shoddy workmanship and, uh, and just fell over. So we don't know exactly why it fell over, but Jesus' point was that you're trying to blame God for everything. But we do need to understand when something is demonic as so that we know how to deal with it. I grew up in a, in a home and family where probably a lot more was recognized on the dark side than, and, than a lot of other places. But my mother had a keen sense of understanding of the, of the times and seasons and the spirit realm with that. Sometimes it just bothered me. And I said, can't you just see like everybody else sees? She said, if I did, we'd be in shape like everybody else is. Wow. But I understood. She knew when to push back the gates of hell and when to make a stand and when just to thank God for all that's going on. I still remember sitting beside her recliner. There was always a book there by Merlin Carruthers. I can hardly remember many names, but I remember that name. I remember that guy wrote a book called Prison to Praise. She said, if you understand this concept, you'll never wor be worried about what's going to happen in the days ahead. And I had read that book a couple more than one time. So 
So I want to share this morning that there is a demonic realm, not for the purpose of being afraid, but to be well-armed and well-secured and the authority that's within the believer. For most of us, we know, understand theologically about that, and there's a whole other church world that says that they don't even believe that there is a hell, there's not a devil, hell is what you make it, the devil is what you, are, you think about. And so we get into all of these things that says, talking about that just totally alleviate any kind of darkness in the world at that point. We realize that there's definitely the spirit of God, there's the human nature we call the flesh or carnality, and then the, the dark side or the kingdom of darkness. One of those three is at work at all times, and that there's sometimes it is a mixture of all of the above. It was in the Arctic Circle a number, number of years ago, and a pastor asked me to, to said, so we're, we're dealing with such a high level of suicide and alcoholism here. And they said, well, it's just because of the 24-hour darkness, the 24-hour sun. This was up where the Eskimos live, even though they don't like that term, if you guys are watching. Uh, Inuits, First Nations. I love you, man. They're still Eskimos. The word Eskimo means, just simply means a meat eater. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm an Eskimo. <laughs> but there was this kind of thing, and they said, oh, we've got all kinds of programs they're dealing with in this. But it was primarily, there was one or two families in the church that had a number of people that were, had suicide or alcoholism and had several marital affairs going on in one family. One of them was over 10, just in the immediate family. They said, is this normal? <laughs> I said, I don't know what you call normal. It's sure not what I would call it. So we began to pray, and during that time, the Lord began to speak to us concerning what was generational, what was partly there, there to do with, and their acceptance of that. And we saw it break, and that, that within that year, we, we walked it through with them. I got emails back from them time times still do this day, and there had not been one death in the family, and this has been about four years now, one death in the family through suicide, alcoholism, and there had not been one uh, immoral act that was committed against their family or, or marriage. There's something about when we recognize that when Jesus told Peter, I give you the keys and the gates of hell will not prevail, it literally means that I give you the keys to overcome the gates of hell, not just to keep it out. So I want to look at a few things as much as we can. I'll get through as much as I can this morning about when something is demonic and when maybe it's, it's mistakes and things that we've opened the door to that. So turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter. And the idea of discernment simply means to make a distinction, understanding, a judgment, if you will, concerning that. Bible said if we'd be faithful to judge ourselves, we would not have need for another to judge us. So the first line of defense that we have in all of this is that we have the Holy Spirit who is the discerning of all that there is, the spirit of truth. So it's not a matter of just whatever passes through my head, I assume that that's truth. We'll get in just a moment is. We'll get in to see that in just a moment. So the Holy Spirit is the, is the quintessential line that says whether something's of truth or not. Truth, aletheia, the manifested reality, the way God sees it, not the way we feel about it, we think about it. Now hear me with this. One of the strongholds that we have in humanity is the idea of stubbornness. 
There's some things we should be stubborn about, other things that become stubborn to the point that the Bible says, and stubbornness as as witchcraft. When is it stubbornness means I'm making a stand. When does it become witchcraft? Stubbornness when I know to do right and I don't do it and I'm going to do what I want to do because I have the ability and I have the right to do it. Then that means that I've now crossed the line where I know what God wants, but I do the opposite of that. And when I do that, then it comes into stubbornness at some level that opens us up for, an, for a something to come in through a gateway. And I'll get into that a little bit in that just a moment. All right, look at First Timothy 4. Now the Spirit speaks expressly or clearly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, doctrines of devils. How many can say we're there? We're, we're seeing more to Romans 1, homosexuality and giving heed to that. And that's just two people love each other. doesn't matter what the Bible says. It's just, you know, so we've made excuses culturally for something that is an anti-Christ or anti-Bible verse for them. We're going to give heed to seducing or spirits that literally pull them in into a way of thinking or into a lifestyle. And their doctrines of devil, a doctrine is something that now has become a foundation that has established them for their living as a foundation is. Doctrines of devil, now they have a foundation. Years ago, it was uh, it wasn't new doctrine, but there was a large church that had 5,000 people in, and the pastor said he got this revelation that there's really no devil, and it's, and it's called universalism, whereas everybody's going to heaven regardless. And he was surprised when the next Sunday he had no one there. I thought, you ought to be happy because you've taught them well, and now you've come up with a different doctrine, a doctrine of devils, so therefore they believed you the first time, and they left out of there. So it means a foundation of, of how we live and a lifestyle. It's the next part of that. They're speaking lies in hypocrisy, saying one thing and doing something else, having their conscience seared with the hot iron. Now, these, these demonic spirits are definitely in the world. I wish they weren't. I wish we didn't have to really even know that much about them, but they're here. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of light, and light destroys darkness. So I think is more that we need to be more aware of the light and the glory of God than the kingdom of darkness. But understand the subtlety of how we can be pulled into. And the Bible says, be careful how the darkness in your own eye. You can have some darkness there and still have light. It's like having a, a light in the room, but it's pretty dull. You can't see as bright as you should. So there are levels and classifications to this level of happening to us. Now, first in Jude, the first chapter in verse 6, there's only one chapter there. And he says, the angels who did not keep their proper estate or the original assignment was what it is. Because when God created the angels, he put them in assignment into places. You can find a host of other verses that back can speak to this. And they were there to have a sphere of influence or governance that was by God. They were called the Elohim or the lesser, the ones created that time. But they left their abode or their place of rule or place of assignment. And he said, God is speaking here, he has reserved in everlasting chains of darkness for the great judgment day. So we know that there are demonic spirits that God had created, demons if you would, that have a place and God says, here's your sphere of influence. 
But somehow or another, God created them with a sense of their own will that they chose to move away from that. We know Lucifer was cast out of heaven. A third of the angels went with him. The good mathematical genius says two-thirds didn't go. So there's more for us than against us. So they left their sphere of influence, and they began to use their influence in some other way. So we know that the influence they have can happen in such a subtlety that sometimes we don't even realize it's happening. And I want to get into just a moment about how, how some of that can happen. I'm not going to share a whole lot about the Spirit of God. It's pretty obvious that God is so just in who He is. He always is following His own Word. The Bible says that His Word is settled forever in heaven. In other words, you can't change or alter His Word. It is the foundation of the universe or the world at that point. You can't twist His words, make it sound something else, because that's one of the things the devil loves to do, that Leviathan thing. And he said, so the Spirit of God is always moving us towards Him, always moving us to light and glory, always moving us to a greater sensitivity to who He is. Now the second area that we have to discern in is the spirit of humanity or our nature called, or Sarx, S-A-R-X is the record there, or we simply call it flesh. Flesh can be not just skin, but it can just be a human way of thinking. That human way of thinking can be developed by how we were raised and developed our ideas, sometimes through trauma uh, and, and abandonment. Other issues can change the way that we think. And we find out Proverbs 23 says, as one thinks in his heart, so he becomes, or he sets the issue or path of life through that direction. So he tells us right in the beginning of this that the human nature is at enmity with God. The fallen nature is at enmity with God. In fact, he said, I put a separation between God, man, but he says now he's given us enmity between the, the devil. So our, he says that our carnal nature is an enemy to God. So when I have a way in saying this is what I think should be done, this is how it should be done, and yet it doesn't move towards faith, and from faith to faith, glory to glory, then what I'm doing, I'm operating in my own carnal nature and think that I'm right in my own eyes. The Bible says there's a way that seems right unto man, but then the destruction. We'll see that more and more as we get into the end of the age, whenever that should be, we'll see that, that it starts moving slowly and slowly away from that way that seems now right unto us, makes sense, I know that it can make sense to us and make no sense to God. It's not God's sense. It's more our own nonsense. You can, one of the ways that you can tell when it's our human nature is that self wants what self wants. It is very selfish, self-centered, self-desire, self-motivation. I see the end of it. How do I serve that? But we find out that I'm crucified with Christ... In other words, self has to lose itself, and now I'm identifying with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm now living not by a selfish nature, but I'm living by the faith, moving faith towards God, faith of the Son of God. I, someone sent me a, recently a, a friend request on Facebook, if you know what that is. And before I do that, because I have, I don't know, up my profile, the number is just maxed out, so I have to kind of go through them. Pick what I want and what I don't want. So if you were thrown off there, it was just evidently 
Uh, you didn't like me. But in this profile I was looking at, it said on there, when you go down there, what they did, where they're sent in town with all that, and they said, and what is your religious views? And he said, whatever. And I thought, I don't want a whatever as a friend. Because the Bible says if we would not confess Jesus here, he would not confess us before his Father. And so we're, we're coming the time when you, you can't just live, be a closet Christian and live outside of that. That I, oh, I remember I went to church with my grandma you know, 20 years ago, and I remember went down to the altar and say, I do, and now I haven't done anything since then. And uh, whatever, whatever religion works for you. I'm telling you, at that point, there was not a conversion inside of your heart because if it were, you would be pursuing after him and how much more as we see the days approaching, which is Hebrews 25, assembling ourselves together, how much more you see the days approaching. The devil wants to do everything to disassemble us and the Holy Spirit's doing everything to assemble us, putting all the parts together because the whole body joined together Fitly join is a very powerful entity for the presence of God to dwell and move inside of. So when we see that the that selfish, the flesh nature is uh, is learned unbridled behavior. It literally means that that's why the Bible talks about children growing up. Says rebellion is bound up in the heart of the child, and as a parent, you must help them be disconnected from it. Whether you call it a timeout and you need time in or you, you know, we're going to drive it out. Whatever is your method you feel like God's calling you to, our responsibility is to refuse rebellion to become a lifestyle in that child and in that home. When children run the home, then you know the parents are operating as cowards. Well, my son, don't, they, don't, my child, they don't want this, they don't want that. Well, I didn't either when I was growing up. I didn't want to go to church when I was growing up. My dad didn't go to church, so I tell my mom, I tell my dad, listen, you don't go to church, so I don't want to go to church. And he'd tell me, you do as I say, not what as I do. Well, I didn't find too biblical. But I knew when my mother prayed for me, things happened. It wasn't just, you know, I went because I was made to. I, I, was, I had the fear of God of her. I saw things happen in her life. It wasn't a religion hypocrisy thing. I saw her live it out every day, how she lived it out in front of other people. She didn't talk bad about people. She blessed people. She lived it out, and I knew there was something with her. When he says in the last days, I mean, the fact is it's going to become more and more pronounced like birth pains moving in that direction and bringing forth a, a direction for that. The flesh wants what it wants. It is not submissive to authority. One of the ways you can tell whether you're carnal is, don't want anyone to tell me what to do. We were doing something around the staff here and someone was helping us and saying that, that I, was, I was kind of getting direction from, I think we were building and working on something and, and Pastor Jim and Pastor Dwayne knows more about building than I do. And so I said, right, what do we do? And the, someone asked me, said, well, you're the pastor here. Why don't you tell them what to do? I said, there's times when I need to be submissive for the purpose of getting the work done than the idea of showing who I am. I may have the right to do it, 
but it's not wisdom for me to do it because I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> when it comes to building, or otherwise we'd, you'd be afraid to sit in this building. Submission is not the idea of proving one's authority. Submission means I'm submitting ourselves one to another in the fear of God for the purpose of the whole body finding its place. So when the, the flesh says, no one's going to tell me what to do, I don't care if it's an eat your vegetables, though I know it's good for me, I'm not going to do it because I don't want to do it. Just to let you know I, I have power and control. That is the point to stubbornness that leads itself and is a gateway for something else. Now, remember what I'm going to say here in just a moment, right now. Get ready. Write it down. That flesh, though it's not demonic always, it certainly is a gateway that leads to something else. Which came first? I don't know. I've prayed with people. You know, at times they said, well, when this demonic thing happens, I don't know. It does it really matter. It could have happened at a point of trauma. Yeah, that would be good to know. But there's times that it's a gateway through everything else. Now, some of you may be bothered at this next statement I'll make, and I'm already into it, so might as well. Harry Potter is a gateway for an agreement of something else. When I was about 10 years old, a girl next door had a Ouija board. We didn't know what a Ouija board was. We certainly couldn't spell it. And we had some, had some kids over, so we were just doing the Ouija board. Boy, my mother knew that. She would have went in there with a... <laughs> And with a, a whip and a chair and just drove, <laughs> driven them all out of there. was at this girl's house. And it was funny, you know, and all of a sudden, and then the next thing is, we see this thing moving by itself. No hands on it. And I realized it scared the, you know, what out of me. I ran home. I told my mother, and she said, oh, my God. She laid hands on me and started <laughs> breaking that thing right now. It has no dominion over you right now. Because it started out a fun little thing and it kept going on towards because it's an agreement. I remember dealing with a young, young man that got into Harry Potter for the idea that it started out fun and it made good reading exercise. Then he was wanting to cast spells over his teacher. He wanted to have authority and he got to believing it so much where it captivated him to where it wasn't enough. And then he started buying books on spells and that of a you know, the dark side, not just playing around with it, but had come into a point of an agreement. An agreement means saying the same thing. If you're reading a book, you are saying what the same, same thing. It is an agreement with that. It is the dark side. So, oh, you're just, that's such silly. Well, you just wait and see till you know, 10 years down the line, see how silly it is when you're having to deal with, with issues and, and things that we've opened up the gateway with. All flesh is not demonic, but it surely can open the gateway to it. Proverbs talks about one who does not practice self-control. That's something we do. That's carnal flesh. If we don't practice it and get a hold of ourselves, then it leads into something that we don't have control over. It says that one who doesn't have self-control is like a broken down city with no walls. So, well, I'm just that way because my dad was that way and our family's that way. When are you going to come to point saying Jesus is not that way and I belong to him? I'm born again. Old things pass away, I have new bloodline in me, so I no longer can pass that off to my earthly father because I have a heavenly father. I just need to say, Holy Spirit, come and wash that out and fill me so full that I'm not full of myself. I thought so. <laughs> Thank you. 
So the human fleshly nature can be, have a mixture. The demonic can come and plant thoughts in our mind that we think is, is ours, and it begins to be really so subtle and so maligned where we don't realize that it is grooming us to have other thoughts and other ways till the point is that it creates vengeance and can create anger and a lot of other hostility that way. So, so that's, that's how the flesh can work together with that. Um, fasting is a good way to break the bonds that are related in the flesh. And I'll tell you whether you need it or not. If everything entices, I don't need to fast. I don't like fasting. I do it because I don't like fasting. <laughs> to break the hold inside of me that I, am, I'm, will have to, I have to refuse to let not me rule and reign. I've even had the thought come to me, listen, at my age, you ought to be able to do whatever you want to. Well, God so outlived us, you know, he does, he's not beyond time. So what age do I have to come under the way and outdo it? I'm continually learning. I'm continually sacrificing. I'm continually yielding to the spirit. We're moving in a time to where people, they don't want to assemble together. Hey, I do what I want to do. And so it's stubbornness comes in. It becomes a family tie, so to speak. And then the next thing is it's easier and easier to start believing other doctrines that are not of God is that way. Okay, I want to look at the demonic real quickly, and then I'm going to give you some, some ways that I think we can find ways to break through this. It certainly is not uh, a fullness of all, and maybe not get through it all today. So in the demonic realm, the whole purpose is to deceive and lead other people away from God. It's all, it hates God. It's not about you and I. He hates, the Spirit hates God. He lost his place of glory he knows that he can never get it back. He can only get it through another bloodline as he did with uh, the killing of, of Abel through Cain. Adam and Eve fell, lost the glory of God. They moved, had to move out of the garden where God's intention was them to live in, in Eden, which means the place of his presence, the place of his presence, presence and his place of his pleasure. When they lost that position, they were outside of God. And after you can be outside of God and eventually do it so much so that it becomes the normal. None of Adam and Eve's children knew what Eden was like. We owe it to our generation to show them what the presence of God is like. How to dwell with his, in his presence, not just dwell inside of a religious order. We owe it to them to have an encounter with the Lord that is transformative in their hearts and lives that will pass it on to their generations. If we've not, if we've all we've done is pass through, uh, given, pass on to them a few songs that we like and, and uh, an order that we can go through, then we've missed the whole idea of the kingdom of God. And since the whole thing is to block the glory of God, 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this world, little g, the God of this world hath blinded their eyes that they cannot see the hope of his glory. You've heard me say before when he said the gates of hell, he used the word gates plural. He used the word Hades or Hadassah is not Sheol or Gehenna, which is one gate in and no gate out. He's talking about the lake of fire at the end of the age. So when he says, I give you the keys of authority for the gates plural, 
which one translation says, anything that blocks you from the revelation of God. So I give you the keys and the authority that you push back on anything that disrupts you from pursuing God with all of your heart, mind, and strength. Someone tell me the other day, when are you going to retire? What? When are you going to retire? At what age do you retire? I said, I don't have a mileage ticker on me. I just change the oil when I feel like it. <laughs> no, I have no thoughts about that as long as I have the energy and strength. So what happens is, as the older we get in the Lord, we think, well, you know, I've done all these things and that kind of thing. This, I should be now stronger as, as with Caleb than I was in the beginning because I've got longer to go after God. I've got longer time with, to, to love him with all of my heart, mind, and strength, and I'm going to pursue him till my last breath. I'll retire there but not here. I may change a few things up, you know, but I'm not, not giving up on anything. I, this is not a job to me, by the way, where you get a pension or something. There is no pension now, are we? <laughs> I don't think so. Not that I've seen, right? Now, just saying. The demonic idea is to Stop and block us from seeing all of the benefits that God has given to us. I know God can, but. So the but means the enemy comes in, he wants to blind you and refer you to facts around you of the natural kind. That he'll always peel to the five senses, your touch, eyes, taste, hearing, and all of that. And yet God wants to appeal to our five spiritual senses. It's to how he thinks, how he sees now, the taste of God, Psalms 34, the touch of God, all of those things, he wants us to, to decide and hear what he is saying. And it's always a battle in this world. And when you look at the case when, when the three Hebrew boys, or many more that was taken captive at the fall of, of Jerusalem in 70 AD, they took the brightest and most of the young men and, and took them to Babylon. There were still people living in Jerusalem. They took the best and brightest and took them to Babylon to idea to brainwash them to be a Chaldean culture into paganism and to think like the gods of Babylon. To get so immersed in their culture with their, their abilities is now to take on that nature. We know the stories of, of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. There's, they had other names, but those the names they were given. That they decided we will not bow down to the culture around us which made no sense because if you don't, you're going to pay the price. I would rather stay true to my heart than true to my mind. Because your mind says one thing and your heart says, but God, the God of the universe, the God of eternity. And when I stand before God, I want to know that I've done everything to stand in faith and going after him with all of my heart, mind, and strength instead of acquiescence to what a culture is that's so temporary anyway. Dealing with the demonic, the devil is much more afraid of us than what we even think. He's lost his place of power and authority. Only it uses to convince us that he's got something. When he left the place of the third heaven or beyond that, paradise, when he was, Lucifer was there a covering cherub in the throne room of God, the Bible describes him as his instrument of worship. He was created for sound light. 
He was a covering cherub, which meant that he was literally responsible for the glory of God, what was happening in their thunderings and lightnings. I mean, it was a, a glorious place. There would be some Christians says, too noisy for me. I don't like all this demonstration. I don't like these lights flashing going off here. Well, that's his glory. Could be. He was cast out of heaven, and he lost the place of being called the morning star. Jesus, the Son of God, was called the bright and morning star. Lucifer was a chief cherubim, had authority, was cast down to a planet of darkness. Now he's called the prince of darkness. The word Satan is the word translated adversary. He's now an adversary against who? You and I. And the reason being is because we carry something inside of us that he lost in heaven and will never, ever, ever gain again here on the earth. Colossians 1.27, Christ in us, the hope of glory. There's this glory inside of us that carry this bright and, and presence of God in such a way that he knows that he can never have access to that in any way. And so when he sees us, he sees the glory of God. He's not seeing you as a human picture and all that. He wants to give you thoughts and delude or disrupt and distract and all the other kind of things and get you so offended about such small things that you don't realize that I've got the glory of God inside of me, the same presence that was inside that box in the Old Testament called the Ark of Covenant. Now I'm in the New Covenant and the New Ark with the presence of God inside of us. And the same pot of manna, Revelation, the law of God tablets. Now it's a words written upon the tables of our heart. And then the rod, which represents Jesus, is the authority that is fruitful in all things. We carry all of those things inside of us. And so the devil's not near as big as what maybe we think. And so it's so easy to go through some. So, well, it's just the way things are. No, you go through it to push back hell. You realize that the apostles, by standards many of us have today, would not be considered successful. Acts 16. Paul is going around ministering, preaching the gospel, and there's this young girl comes out. She's got the Bible says she has a spirit of divination. She's divining. She's fortune telling. She's wanting to tell the future. And she was under control of someone else and who made, them, made her a lot of money. Paul went around for a number of days, we don't know how long, and they, she would cry, these men are the men of the most high God. These men are the men of the most high God. And you think, and Paul finally got annoyed by it. I don't know how long it takes for us to be annoyed by the devil or something's not working until eventually he pushed back and says, Shut up and come out of her. Well, it did. But she was telling the truth. Wasn't she? These men were the men, the most high God. Even She even used the term most high, not just a God, the most high. I mean, Yahweh, God of all gods. She was even telling the truth. So Paul, how did you rebuke her? Because she was telling the truth. It's because the spirit that was using her to tell the truth was demonic. Because by doing that, it would confirm, see, she does have a, a God thing on her, and he can make more money with her by using her to confirm something that became obvious. She no longer, when the demon came out of her, she no longer was effective and fruitful to the, her owners. They go to the 
the religious group of the day and said, these men are dividing up and, and tearing up traditions and things that we here in our, in our culture are known for. So he goes to the culture. Romans come up, get all upset, and you let the, the Pharisees do what they want to do because they were trying to have a, they had a, a co-mingling at that time. And uh, they threw Paul and Silas in prison. Well, here you're doing something so powerful in the things of God. Paul, you must be doing something wrong to be put in prison. We could simply say, why is this happening to me? Why should I have to go through this? How come I having to deal with this? There's sometimes I deal with things because I've opened the door and made a mess of it myself. There's other times when you're going after God that's not always in a case. I, I, I have an issue with people saying, you know, the devil's really stirred up. God must be doing something good. He's always stirred up. Does the devil have to be stirred up before God does something good? No, it means the fact is I'm just aware of it or I've opened maybe to the door to it. So Paul and Silas, knowing that they could be killed the next day, they begin at midnight, they start singing praise unto the Lord. Instead of whining about what's happened to them, they start praising and singing, worshiping the Lord. Whatever demonic attack they had was destroyed because they set their affection on things above, not things on the earth. And when they did that, the Lord released angels to come, which Hebrews says to minister in behalf of the heirs of salvation, not minister in the heirs of those who are complainers, the whiners. There's no help for whiners and complainers except from other whiners and other complainers. They might come and help you. And the earthquake happened, the jails were open, doors were open, the angels bring them out, jailer gets saved, his family gets saved, they're ministered to, everything changes because what was started out, a simple deliverance thing, now went for the, a greater attack of the enemy, and then God does something more spectacular than what happened. Had they not had that encounter, that experience, that attack, then they would have never had seen the power of God manifest in that way. When the enemy comes in, Isaiah said, like a flood, God raises a standard. The enemy doesn't own the flood. God is on the flood. Yah rides on the flood. When the enemy comes in, Yah rides a flood, and he brings a flood to, to crush the attack. When we know, recognize, instead of saying, oh, here I go again. I don't know why this happens to me. I've served you all my life, God, and all these things, and now why are these things happening to me? Get ready for the flood. The Spirit of God raises a standard. How does he do that? Because we're declaring who he is above all names. He's the God of all gods. Yahweh conquers and crushes these little demons that left where they're posts and now trying to bring affliction and attacks on us. When the enemy comes in, recognize it and then push back on it. See, little thing, get off here little flea flicker. We were going to, Diana were driving to Oklahoma to a meeting a few years ago, and uh, she said, oh, here, man, I just feel like somebody, I got an arrow in the back, it's stabbing me, the back pain just hit me. And it wasn't one of those normal pains, you know, that suddenly it came on. So I was driving to leave, and I said, you don't have permission to do this. Get out of here, leave her alone. And it left as soon as Now, there's times you can have a backache because you injured or something else, but when it suddenly happens that way, 
It's not normal. You recognize it's an attack. And you don't spend time wanting to talk to the devil about how many are you? What size are you? Because you know how big God is. You don't care about how big it is. When you recognize that, you're saying, I'm trusting in the Lord and I'm using the authority he's given me to cut this thing off because if I don't recognize it keeps going on and on and on, it gains rooting and grounding, a foothold, toehold, a handhold, and gets a headhold. And the next thing is we can't tell whether it's physical, spiritual, or whatever it is. The demonic loves these, these things to distract, disrupt, to take our affection and our attention off the Lord. First John, the fourth chapter, verse 1 through 4. Beloved, believe not every spirit. Man, there's a bunch of them out there, isn't it? Not just demonic spirits. There's the internet's full of spirits. It's called a spirit net. Just throwing everything out there. But try the spirits or test the spirit, whether they are of God, because many false prophets, doesn't mean that they're demonic, they're false prophets, are gone out into the world. Hereby we know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the fleshes of God. When you're listening to things, recognize, do they talk about Jesus in any of it? I heard that I heard that I heard. There's none that, not hardly any says, I heard the Lord say, or God said. It's, I think, saw this, my experience. Do they confess that Jesus has come in the flesh because that is the breaker for everything? If they haven't said that, and the devil does not like to Acknowledge Jesus as the Son of God. You can call it Jesus, but not as the Son of God. He's come in the flesh. They're not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Because remember, the devil doesn't mind talking about Christ. He just doesn't like his position as the Son of God. Matthew 4, when he went up into the high place, the first thing the devil says is, if you are the Son of God, command these bread. And these stones become bread. The last thing God said to him at baptism is that this is my son. He'll always want to deal with an identity by bringing an affliction, a distraction, interference to disrupt him. He says, remember, you're a son. You have access to the family business. You have the right to say no. You have the right to, to push back and bind on earth what's already been bound in heaven. You have the name of God the Father. So if he's, this is the Antichrist, wherever you've heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. You are of God, little children. Use the word weos there, meaning small ones. And you've overcome them because greater is he, the big he, Jesus, the anointed one, the Christ. Greater is the Christ than the Antichrist. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. How we become stronger is not by finding ways to get out of, but finding ways to go th through it. Let me give you an example. Jesus' disciples came to him, and they asked him a question. And boy, did they set themselves up for an answer. He said, would you increase our faith? Typical charismatic church, simply, you know, Jesus, if you were pastoring, what you do, you line everybody up, and we believe this. We believe in laying on hands. I want you to lay hands on me, Jesus, and you impart to me greater faith. Jesus instead said, let me give you a parable so you can wrap your brain around it. He said, 
Which of you, having servants, which was their culture, working in a field, been there working all day, that when they come in, would you tell them, oh, here, sit down at the table, here, let me feed you and take care of you? He said, no. You would say, go wash your hands, clean up yourself, and then serve me. Sounds pretty cruel, doesn't it? But his point is saying, why would you thank him for what, what he's just done, which was expected of him? To go into the place where the Lord wants to use all of us supernaturally, divine inspiration, power of the Holy Spirit, that means that we, we gain muscle and strength by things we break through and go through, not go around. All of the apostles had things they had to break through. Peter denied Jesus, but he had to break through. He finally got there. We gain authority by what we overcome, not by what we undergo. So when he's talking about this antichrist, it's literally to push back on the power and authority of the Christ that's already within us. We know in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 10, that right in there amidst all the other Gifts of the, to the body of Christ. It says, to another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. We believe all that. To another, discerning of spirits. To another, a diverse tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. Right in the middle of all of these gifts, there is this gift of discerning spirits. He considers a gift. But all of us, we do carry a sense of whether it's a gift or not, to know something's not right or right, wrong. There is because we carry the Holy Spirit of truth in us and there should be something within us unless we have dulled the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. We should be able to sense, man, that's, that, that didn't sound like God at all. That didn't feel like God at all. That's why we hide the word in our heart so we'd not sin against the Lord. So with that sensitivity, we all have a sense of discerning, but there is a gift of discernment when one has the ability to discern for the purpose of casting those spirits out, binding them, or being able to help others to see it and push back through it. So at the church, the world we're moving into is at this point of discerning spirits then there's a reason God wants to cause us to be stronger than ever before. So we learn in our own home and family, when something is of, of not of God, we can push back and then move on through it. And we don't spend days and months and long periods of time cycling and circling through that to get point past that. I was in a meeting in California years ago, and they brought a guy up, and he was I think he was a, a salesman or a pharmaceutical salesman, if I remember the story right. And they said he's got the most type signs that have been registered or I'm trying to think, uh, documented cases of cancer deliverance and miracles of healing. And he's going to come up and share with how to do it. So man, everybody's thinking, wow, he's going to give us five steps of how to do this or that. I mean, he's dealing with cancer and he's seen success with breakthrough cancer. And he, he starts in Genesis. And I thought, why would he start in Genesis? My theological mind wouldn't know. And he starts there in Genesis where he says, and God put enmity between man and the serpent. And the word enmity is translated red, hot, anger, hatred. 
He said, when I see something that the devil tries to do, interrupt people's life, it's all sickness, demonic, I, can't, I wouldn't go there, but it's sure I think, I think it sure has an opening to it and things can happen. Which came first, I don't know. That is, that's part to be discerned. He said, when I see that, this anger rises up inside of me, and I said, how dare you attach to the body of the anointed? So I'm not praying medical history. I'm not praying this, or maybe God's this or that. He said, I just go at it as an angry person, like a parent who would be so angry if something happened to their child. And he said, I, we literally have seen it driven out of people's bodies. I don't know what the percentages are. I don't know. There's something inside of us that rises up and saying, I will not sit by and allow darkness to creep in around my family and give in to fear and admonish fear and acknowledge fear and feed fear. I refuse to do it. I push back the gates of hell. As for me and my house, we're going to serve God. When you do that, now there's a discerning sensitivity inside of you that you just don't accept things. Well, that's quesarasara. That's status. That's the way things are. Look at 2 Timothy, third chapter, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. There's their own flesh. Lovers of their own self. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, covenant breakers, if you will, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady. I mean, the fact is, you know, it's all mental acquiescence. Heady, high-minded, better than someone else. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. One of the ways that we can develop sensitivity of discernment is turn away from this kind of description of people there. Don't look to them for advice. Don't look to them you're going to receive something. Don't look to them as some kind of thing they should be imparted, recognizing that this is a, a fleshly carnal thing that is a gateway for the enemy to come in and to use them, plant thoughts in their mind to distract and dissuade you. If you were going to invest a million dollars would you find a person homeless on the sidewalk to give you advice? Unless they had a million dollars, I guess. Why would we take advice from people that hasn't overcome anything that live in that dominion of fear? But why not go to the one that wrote the Bible all the way through, who established the heavens, as he talked about Job, when he told Job, where were you when I set the boundaries of the world? I didn't ask for your opinion, your advice. So the same way he's saying, there is a spirit that's in this world, and he gives a description of that, that when we find ourselves succumbing and coming under that, this thing washes over us, and now it becomes kind of the normal, and we lose a sensitivity, dullness of heart, dullness of hearing, dullness of what's going on, 
And so, because this is the way we want it, high-minded, heady. He uses the word test the spirits, the word dokimi. means to make proven or fast, let it be truth, not hearsay, not what I want it to be, not what I think, not what I dreamed about. I mean, it is a proven record of fact, being. I can open up the word of God and find it, what he said from the beginning to the end. This is the proven text of everything that, I have to, that I'm going to stand on. Everything else can be experiential. If I was to take and draw out on the screen up here a big bullseye, you know what I mean, bullseye, three rings, the center of that is the inerrant word of God, the absolute word of God that from the blood of Jesus, pure, all the way through the plan of salvation, to the virgin birth, resurrection, everything about him, that is an absolute truth I cannot compromise on. That's the standard, gold standard, if you will. That next ring may be how we interpret that or we see it. We can see it a little bit differently and still have fellowship. And then that outside ring is my personal experience. So my personal experience has nothing to do with the center of the inerrant word of God. That experience, that experience doesn't have, is not worth anything. If it's not tied back and the proven test is the word of God, again, thy word is settled in heaven. Thy word is hidden in my heart. So his word is what created the heavens and the earth. First John uh, tells us that. So it's the word has got to be established inside of us. And so that helps us have a sensitivity between discerning between good and evil. If I have now become to where I bought into everything else that's on that outside ring of experiential and I've not had something that has a precedent, at least some level of the word back to it, it may not spell it out exactly, got ties back into that, then what happens is I, I can be easily deceived. I've gotten away from that. Because the world's doing it, everybody's doing that. Now it's no longer an absolute world we live in, but it's an absolute kingdom that he dwells in. Kind of suck the oxygen out of the room. You're free to, you're free to believe whatever you want to believe. First Peter 5 and verse 8. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, again, the word Satan is, as goes around as a roaring lion walking for opportunity, seeking whom he may devour. How does he do that? He cannot devour somebody that's in the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth makes you free. The word free doesn't mean just the ability to dance and have a good time. It literally means free from any constraints or power of another world or spirit. So the enemy goes around and looking for people that has, has elements of darkness, elements of, of, uh, of something that is born to its own nature. I've had people say, would you pray for me? I've got a word curse on me. And I would ask him, and they said, well, I was in Walmart, bumped into someone's buggy, and they said some very vulgar bad things to me. And I think I'm under a word curse. Said, really? Man, if that was true, I'd be cursed all the time. 
driving in Dallas, I'd be continually be cursed. <laughs> They're waving at me, but I don't think it's being friendly. <laughs> Proverbs 26 and verse 2 says, a curse cannot come without a cause. Something that means that is that I have to have done something in agreement with that curse to make it stick, to have a homologate or a point of agreement to say the same thing. So only if I'm cursing others am I open to be cursed myself. And the word curse means to bring something in a lower position than what God said about them. Blessing is the opposite of that. Blessing means declare what God says they can be, not reporting where they are. So if I'm cursing, then I'm under a curse. Even with a generational curse, it can be cut off and severed that the line doesn't continue on from that moment on and you set up a new bloodline for your family and your children and grandchildren. The Kirkwood side of my family, from what I have heard and understood, they were horse thieves and, and you know, just bootleggers and drunks and alcoholics. Most of my cousins that I didn't know that well were in prison today for dealing drugs or were having something to deal with drugs. And my, I had two uncles that died as an alcoholic. And my dad kept wanting to go that way. And my mother stood up in the middle and saying, you're not going that way. She would bless him even when he was acting like everything shouldn't, you shouldn't bless him. He was acting like anything you'd like for me to say. And she would say, you're a man of God and you don't have the right to act that way. Though your brothers and everybody else doing it, but you're not that who because you're the man of God. Because the, she took the word, she said, the unsanctified husband is sanctified by the believing wife. Never figured out that verse too much, but anyway, because he had a will of his own. And all of his brothers and sisters, I think his one sister didn't die that way, but all of his brothers died that way, horribly, alcoholism, or spent their days in prison. It's because that was the bloodline. My mother stepped in, no. This is not the bloodline we choose and cut it off. And it wasn't, it wasn't easy all the time either. She stood for it night and day, night and day. He would take God's name in vain. He'd be working, hit his thumb. He'd take God's name in vain. She said, you'll not talk about my God that way. And I mean the whole house just shook. We knew that the house was an altar. He wanted to drink so bad one day she was praying. Immediately I see her get up from there. She went out to the horse barn where she never goes out there. She walks right up to a feed bin. I followed her out there and lifts it up, digs down the, in the bin, and there was a fifth of whiskey right there, unopened. I said, how did you put that there? How did you know? She said, I was praying and the Lord told me and showed me where it was. She went and opened that thing up right there because she couldn't twist it off enough, and she poured this thing out. Because this represented the bloodline of the fallen nature of our family that was trying to find access back into that. That's why I despise alcohol this day. Everywhere I see my family. There's a sensitivity of the Holy Spirit that will preempt something before it ever happens. You don't have to wait till it happens. The Holy Spirit will show you things before it ever happens, and you cut it off so that you never know whether it ever happened or not. Resist the devil, 
You'll flee from him. Let me give you four things really quickly to test the spirits, and I'm done. In many cases, I said there's mixture between the flesh and the demonic. The devil loves for us to think it's our own mind, our own way of doing it, and mix it in and convince us that we're right. Number one, does it cause you to love Jesus more than before? Whatever I'm believing, whatever I'm buying into, does it cause me to become closer to Jesus than it was before? Remember, the Antichrist spirits that doesn't want you to have anything to do with Jesus, but the, but the Spirit of God will lead us and direct us into all paths of righteousness, for his name's sake. Number two, is your faith stronger after hearing that or being around that? Is God, the Word of God, in it in any way? Test the spirits, dokima, and see, does God have any connection in that at all? Knowing the time that the devil can quote the word of God, but what is the spirit behind that? Let me give you an example of this. I'll do Pastor Jim because he knows me. I could look at him and say, I love you. I said the right thing. But you can test the spirit behind it say the right thing, but it sure didn't come across that much. Or I can say, Dave, I love you. Our tone, the way we say things, the way we act and respond to that determines sometimes the spirit behind something that way. How many husbands and wives are you say, don't raise your voice to me. I'm not raising my voice. Then try lowering it or the intent. Because the devil is looking who he can devour. He is a good hearer of something that sounds like him. When the soldiers came in the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was, they, Jesus said, who are you looking for? He said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus had mentioned back in about John 14, the prince of this world comes, but he will find nothing in me. There was nothing in me that will harmonize, resonate, synchronize with him. So when they said, we're looking for Jesus, he said, I am he, and bam, they hit the ground three times. Finally, Jesus, in order to be fulfilled, just gave up and went with them. How would it be to walk in such a way that there was nothing in you that harmonized with the devil and he had no access into the home, family, marriages, relationships at all because we have the sound Jesus. Blessed are the people that know the joyful sound. Here's a third thing. Do I feel tormented or fear when I'm around that or hearing that, or do I feel the peace of God? The peace of God rules. Jesus said, I give you a peace not like the world gives. The world has its own level of peace that can make you satisfied where you are but the peace that passes all understanding beyond what we can think leads us into a sense of no matter what's happening right now, I am going to one day be with him. No matter what's happening right now, one day I will get over this and pass. One day I will break through. One day I will make this a path to walk on. Instead of letting this moment be a defining moment, 
just saying it's a, it's a definite defining me. My pathway is a stepping stone only. Here's the fifth thing. Does it contain accusation or offenses? When I went away, did I feel better or worse? I was recently asked about, you know, a group of pastor network that I when I first came back in the 80s, and I went there, and they asked me, so how come you didn't go there? And I said, because I felt worse after I left than when I went in. Because it was all about everything that we were, the church was wrong, talking about other pastors, other leaders, and nobody was doing this right, nobody was doing this right, everything was bad, 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 bad. And it was easy to talk about the bad. But every, and I would say, you know what I, I believe the Lord's doing? Ah, I heard that 20 years ago, that's nothing. I got shot down every time I talked about the goodness of God. And so I finally, you know what? I go in feeling good. I leave going feeling bad. So duh, I'm not going back. I didn't want to be around that accusation and the cursing. because That's what it was. Nobody seemed to have the revelation but them. I was just a kid in my 20s and they were much older than I was. And so I just learned not to open my mouth. Here's the last part. Does it contain accusation and offenses? If I'm being used to bring accusation, because the Bible says it's the accused, the devil is the accuser, means to set a sentence and make accusation with and sentencing, that's what the devil does. With every conviction of the Holy Spirit, there's always the redemptive side of that, but God is good. And with every side of that, every test of that, he'll make a way of deliverance. But what the devil is not you too late, can't do it, you're this, you're that, it's an infinitive, you always, you never, and has no redemptive power with it. That means I'm denying the power of redemption to them. Whatever they do, that's up to them. But for us, with blessing, it's always redemptive. Has his name attached to it. Let me give you how to break, how to break t- demonic ties with there, especially in family ties. Three quick R's. Repent means to confess with the idea of changing my thinking, not just confess that I got mad about it and I got to do it. Confess with the idea I'm changing my thinking and changing my behavior because as one thinks, so they behave. I am asking the Holy Spirit, take charge of my behavior. I will no longer excuse it as okay. Number two. Resist, the word resist is translated to replace with. So when we say resist the devil, you replace what the devil's trying to say with what God is saying. So find what God is saying in terms of blessing. In other words, you overcome cursing with blessing. So resist doesn't mean I'm no, 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 can't say it, can't say it, no, 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 no. You start bless the Lord instead of the cursing and when you start worshiping the Lord and replacing the fear and all the other, you know, whoa, whoa is me. What about this? What about this? Well, what about him? When he's exalted, everything changes at that moment. The fallen fleshly nature likes to zero in on an offense or an issue and stays there and camps there because they feel empowered and yet the de- demons keep feeding it. All of a sudden the thought says, well, I, fr- I remember one more thing they said. And I, you know, but that, you know, I remember now I said, and now you need to go tell them. You know, and so the demons just feed off that. 
Just tell them like this. Lastly, and restore. Repent, resist, and restore as much as, as possible. He talks about the thief that steals that you need to restore. There's some, if I have done something, and I'm aware of it, I need to do the best I can to help not only repent, but to help restore that person or restore to them if I've done something that's been a loss in their life as much as possible. I know there's cases and situations may not work out that way. Matthew 12, 44, stand with me. It says, when an unclean spirit has gone out of a house and the house is clean and swept, those demons will go out into the dry places because they, have, they haven't had place a host home and they will come back in and they'll look inside this house that's swept and bring seven more with them worse than the first. Well, the house is clean. What's the issue? Because it's not just to say, Father, forgive me. Now clean me up, the blood of Jesus. But now the house has to be filled that the devil has no room to replace any of itself in or bring any of its cohorts in with it. Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Galatians 5, walk in the Spirit, live in the Spirit, and you'll not fulfill, fill up, satisfy the works of the flesh. So, Father, we present ourselves before you today, a house of God. We pray for the spirit of wisdom, the counsel, and understanding of knowing the times that we live in, the days that we live in. We know they're evil. But thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. There's no evil overtaken us that has been uncommon to man. But with you, Lord, you've already whipped the devil, made a way of escape, given us access, given us the principles and power to walk it out. Help us to choose you and not choose how we think or feel. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and separate our own carnal flesh and any stubbornness that has set itself even against you and has kept us from the best that you are. And allow your presence and your sweetness of your glory to come in because you're so redemptive. You love us so much in such a merciful way that you deliver us from evil so that your glory can come and fill the house. We want our hearts to become an altar, Lord, that's pure, that the sacrifices become a sweet-smelling savor to you again and not an altar that's been polluted with the cares of this world and actions and hypocrisies. We trust in you, O God. We trust in you. So we repent right now and ask you to forgive us. Help us to change the way that we think. We come and replace what the enemy's been saying, accusations against anyone, anything, and we come and say, You are exactly what God intends for you to be, not where you are, but to be. So I choose to bless you above all else and leave it unto the Lord and everything else. I choose to glorify you in the face of opposition, Lord. And now, Lord, I pray that through all of this, the power of the redemption 
that comes through the knowledge of the Son of God. Help us to be wise, not in our own deceit, in our own mind, but to look for Jesus in everything. And if he's not there, then help us to walk away from it. We thank you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the baptism of fire that burns out everything that's not of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the baptism in the body of Christ that allows us to be part of community, a culture, to grow in your grace and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. When the ministry team just to come and stand with us this morning. I don't want this to be a heavy time, but I want to be a weighty time, <laughs> if you know that difference. As a pastor here, my responsibility is to prepare us for, I don't know, if it's a year, 10 years, whatever. I'm not, I don't know. But I want us to be ready, not for just days coming on the earth. I want us to be ready for the stuff coming in our house tomorrow, tonight, today. I want us to be armed with all that God has for us to live out life here in a powerful way at the fullness of the Lord.